Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Y'all want to hear some good news? You know, that's what the gospel means, good news. If it ain't good news, it ain't the gospel. It's just true. You know, it's the goodness of God, it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance, that draws us to change our mind, that draws us to turn away from sin, that draws us to desire him and see his love. We love him because he first loved us. So you go all the way back to the garden and, you know, do you ever ask, why is this place the way it is, Lord? Why is it like this? Why has it got to be sickness and disease and, you know, the difficulties and the struggles that we have? And, you know, why? I don't get it. If you're good, why is all this stuff happen? And it's answered in the very beginning, all the way back to Genesis in chapter one, where he says he created mankind and gave us dominion over everything on the planet and the planet itself. So the planet's in the condition that it's in. Do, take your finger right here and, and do this. We've let it get this way. See, because here's the real truth. If you want to know what God's idea of humanity is, number one, he loves us. But if you want to know what he thinks a human can live like, look at Jesus. See, because he sent Jesus into this world to be our redeemer and our savior, but also to be an example of what a human being full of the Holy Spirit looks like walking this planet. He's not special in a sense. Now, he was the Messiah. He's the firstborn of God. He existed with God as God, one with God, that whole eternal trinity thing that we'll never figure out on this planet with these brains. But when he came here, it says that he emptied himself. He became a human being full of the spirit of God, full of truth to walk in this planet, not to show us an example of what we were supposed to do, but what it can look like when you follow God, when you are allow God to fill your heart and you follow him and you he's you're led by him. You know, he's not the bar that we need to attain. He's the example of this is what it can be like for you if you allow God to lead you and guide you from your heart. You see that? Because he's with us. His grace is alive inside of us to empower us to walk like he walked. Not so that we can become holy like he did, but because he's made us holy, now we can walk like he did. Man. So we messed it up. Mankind introduced sin into the world. And because mankind messed it up, mankind has dominion over this dimension or planet or however you want to say it. A man had to fix it. A man had to restore it back, but there was no one on the planet worthy enough to make that happen. So God literally chose to do it himself. He emptied himself and came here. In John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And don't try and figure that out because you can't just believe it. <laughs> and then further down in John, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us the only begotten of the Father. Man. So this word word is the word logos. It's a Greek word, and it's where we get our idea of the word logic from. See, it doesn't mean that 
somewhere up there in the holy place, there's like the original Bible, you know, the word of God was in heaven before. No, it's living. It's the living aspect of who God is. The word logic has more to do with the thoughts, the ideas, the intention, the integrity, and the character of that person, the way that they think, the way that they are. You know, you think about somebody and you're like, I don't really, I just don't like the way they are. You ever said that? No, you didn't. You haven't said that. The logos of God is the way God is. It's his logic. It's the way that he thinks. It's the way that he sees the world. It's the way that he treats people. It's just who he is, the character behind his word. If you and I make a handshake and we make a deal, you know, it's as good as our words are toward each other. It's, it's the integrity behind the word. It's who God is wrapped up in his presence. That became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is not just some man sent here. He's not just God walking around pretending to be a man. He was a man, limited in every way like we are, yet without sin. But he is the embodiment of who God is, the way God thinks, the way God does things, the way God treats people. You see Jesus' encounters with people, that's where we have to get our understanding of who God is. You know, the Old Testament and the Old Covenant were full of interactions with people, but those were people who were not in right standing with God, and God's anger was kindled toward that sin. And so he crafted a way for them to relate to him, but it wasn't perfect. It says it wasn't even a way that he desired. He doesn't desire sacrifices. He doesn't desire, you know, any of that stuff. He desires the human heart. So from the very beginning, we introduced sin into the world, God would come into the garden and manifest and walk with them. And when they realized that they had messed up, God's like, where are you, Adam? You know, God, when God asks you a question, he's not looking for information. He knew where they were. You ever thought about that? Yes. He was trying, in that very first moment, he was trying to create an atmosphere of repentance. So Adam would repent and come back to him. But what did he do? He hid himself. He created a barrier between he and his own wife. They, they covered themselves up. They started to judge for themselves and judged according to what the enemy had told them. Maybe God's not telling us the truth. Maybe God is holding out on us. And that's the lie that is still alive on this planet today. And each and every person's mind on some level or another is that we doubt God. We doubt God's faithfulness. We doubt Man, is he really going to do this? Is he really that good? Is he really going to tell me the truth? You know, that's why sometimes people have a trouble with this message because it just sounds too good. I don't know about all that stuff. You know, you got you to balance it with the law. But I'm glad you brought up the law because I'm going to talk about that now. <laughs> so because man couldn't fix it on his own, God made a way. He created a plan of salvation. He sent Jesus here. Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life for a couple of different reasons. Now, it's really important to understand where I'm about to go with this because it's, it's, it's basic, simple, foundational truth, but a large part of Christianity doesn't understand the depth of the exchange in it and is still trying to earn righteousness rather than live in the righteousness that he's given us. Doesn't mean sin's okay. Doesn't mean that you're, you know, free from the from destruction of your choices, like God's just going to give you a pass. No, we still create our own chaos in this planet through sin. 
But with God, we're in right standing because Jesus lived this perfect and sinless life. Now, see, it's best understood in the, the old covenant sacrificial system. And all of that stuff was designed to show us what Jesus would actually do in the spiritual dimension by showing us stuff in the physical dimension of, of what it would happen when he finally got here. So the idea was you bring your sacrifice, you bring your offering to the Lord. The priest would inspect the offering, not you, because you're not good enough. You can't do this on your own. I need to inspect your sacrifice. I need to inspect your offering here. And if it was clean, if it was worthy, the priest would transfer your sin to that sacrifice and end it. I mean, for real. And then blood everywhere. You know, it wasn't just playing patty cake. It was an atonement. It was the transference of moving your sin onto this being and you standing there watching that sacrifice saying, that should have been me. Jesus lived perfectly to be the perfect sacrifice for the entire planet. Now get this. Jesus was holy and perfect. He qualified to be your sacrifice. He qualified to take your sin. So when he died, when he came to the end of his life and he was hoisted up on that cross, that was the exchange that was happening. This is what was going on in the heavenly dimensions was that atonement, eternal sacrifice of God removing the sin from the entire planet and putting it on Jesus. Now, this is an eternal spiritual thing that happened, and you have to exercise faith in this and receive this in order for it to regenerate you and make you a new creature. Some people teach that because he did that, the whole world saved already. No, you have to receive this gift. But think about this. On this cross, every penalty of every sin that you ever committed are committing right now in this moment or ever will commit was transferred off of him and on off of you and onto him in second corinthians it tells us that he who knew no sin became sin so that we would be the righteousness of god in christ jesus say i'm righteous, I am righteous. because of jesus and if you have a hard time with that, it's time to repent and believe the gospel. It's really that simple. So also on this cross, and I'm going to throw out some scriptures, and a lot of you know these, but maybe you can go back and just restudy them over this Easter weekend, this resurrection weekend. But Isaiah 53 goes through this whole list of all the different things that happened, that were going to happen to the Messiah. One was... The chastisement needful for us to have peace with God was on Jesus. Some people are questioning whether or not Jesus was punished in our place. Absolutely, he was punished. Sin had to be dealt with. We couldn't do it, so he made a way for it. And that means that you will never be punished for your sin because Jesus already was. That means that you, when you die, you will not go through the grave, you will just pass unto the heavens. You know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You will not go into that abode of the wicked or Hades awaiting judgment because all your sin is already taken care of. Now, does that make you want to run out and sin? No. In fact, that was such a problem in the early 
in the early church, and even still sometimes people take this message too far and think, oh, sin is of no consequence, I can do whatever I want. And, and, and their life just looks like they've never received Christ. And John and Peter were dealing with that, and they would say, look, I'm not sure you're saved because I don't see the fruit of Christ in your life. And see, unfortunately, religion has taken that to judge people and say, well, if you're still sinning, I question your salvation. And externally, it sounds like that's what they're doing, but really they're looking at their heart. Are you sure you've really connected to this reality in your heart? Because it should be bearing fruit in your life, and the fruit is you walk away from sin. The fruit is you walk into the life that you've been created to be righteous and holy. You, we should live that stuff out naturally. Have you ever really tried really hard to stop sinning? It just doesn't work. That's because you can't do it on your own. But if you connect to the grace of God, the power of God in your heart that's alive because his spirit is one with your spirit inside of you, then you live from that power. You live from that faith. Man, if we could learn how to do that, man, walking this life would be easy and light, just like he said it was supposed to be. Doesn't mean difficulty is not going to happen. It's going to happen. He promised it would happen. But in the midst of it, we follow him and connect to his grace. So on this cross, not only was the chastisement needful for us to have peace, but our sickness, our disease, the, our sorrows, our depression, our guilt, the mindsets that we carry that create a wedge between us and God in our minds. And he dealt with all that stuff. You got to think about it. When he was on that cross, he wasn't just quoting scripture when he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the reality God turned away from him because he had become sin. He had become the darkest part of humanity and was hanging on that cross for all to see. And the good news is all of the wrath and the anger of God toward sin was absorbed in Jesus. Technically, that's propitiation. In Romans 3, it talks all about that that he is our propitiation. He is the appeasement of anger. He is the appeasement of wrath. It's like you think about how angry God could get towards sin. As much as he could pile up and store up, because it would say that, that under the Old Testament, there would be wrath stored up against you because of disobedience. All of that, as much as he possibly could muster up, all of it was dumped into Jesus where he has no more left. Isaiah 53 says, as a result of Isaiah 53 and 54, the Messianic prophecies. By the way, side note, I posted this on Facebook last night, really cool chart, but there are eight specific Messianic prophecies, and for Jesus to have fulfilled those eight prophecies is it's statistically impossible. It's like one times 10 to the 17th power, which get, get this in your mind, for Jesus to have fulfilled just eight messianic prophecies is like this. It's like the state of Georgia filled up with silver dollars. Take your fingers and do like this. Just a silver dollar about that size over the entire state of Georgia, about two feet high. And you've marked one of them with a red X on it. And you've got to go blindfolded across the entire state of Georgia to find that one quarter of one silver dollar and you only get one chance to pick it up. Those are the odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight prophecies. And he fulfilled over 300 prophecies. I mean, man, you know, you don't really convince people 
through information. You draw them into a relationship through love. But man, that, that's, that's pretty undeniable. Over 300 prophecies he fulfilled. So part of this exchange in, you know, began in the garden, the, the garden of Gethsemane on the cross where he started to exchange natures with humanity. He became the darkest depths of humanity so that we could become like him, so that we could dwell with God. Now, again, you're not going to be the Messiah. You're not going to become a God. You're not a God like Jehovah. You're not going to pass into the heavens and get a planet for however many wives you have or whatever all that stuff is. I'm not really trying to make fun of that. I mean, it is a little funny, but it's like, no, he wanted us to be a child he wanted us to be in his family. That's what this is all about. It's all about family and him gathering children, not gathering servants. You know, Jesus said, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. Because a servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I have revealed everything to you that the Father has revealed to me. Man. That means that you don't have to try to live this life getting information out of God. Because Jesus has already revealed God to you in the way that he lived and in his spirit that he placed with inside of you. So imagine how difficult it is to live sinlessly. Realize, I don't think we connect to how human Jesus really was. You know, it says, as he is, so are we in this world. Essentially, Jesus wasn't any different other than he wasn't born with a sin nature where he had to be born again. He was born of God, so he was born of a righteous nature. But in every way, he was tempted like you are. He could have really blown it. He could have missed it. He could have given up and gone back to heaven and been justified in doing so, and we'd all be in trouble. So it's possible because he did it. But when he died, see, as hard as it is to live sinlessly and live perfectly and stay on that cross and allow his hands to be nailed to that cross, the hardest part was what came next. And that was when he died. He died and went into the grave. Now, people, you know, kind of debate what happened in there. But if you go through the Messianic prophetic Psalms, especially Psalm 18, you really realize, man, Jesus went through hell for me. Now, in Ephesians 4, it says that he went into the deepest parts of the earth so that he could fill everything. The idea is that the, everything possible that a human could exist within, Jesus, as a human, passed through everything so that he could have victory over all of it, including the grave. So he dies the death that we deserve. Say, I'll never be punished for my sin. Now, does that make you want to sin? Good. Okay, good. <laughs> so he's in the grave. And for all practical purposes, it's eternity. He's there forever because there's no time there. He's cut off from God. It's dark. You know, it, it's as if he is cast into the grave that died the death of a sinner, cut off from God, and will be there eternally. You know, when he says, you will not leave my soul in Hades, he's not saying, I'm going to act like I'm dead. No, he's dealing with the reality of having died and been cut off from God and experiencing where we should go, where humans would have to go if they, didn't, if they weren't righteous. But it says this, that 
His faith overcame death. Now, I want you to just think about that for a minute. You know, I kind of bring out that concept a lot in here, but just take a second to meditate on that. He's dead. He's in the grave. We think that's it, done, over. There's nothing more powerful than death, except the faith of Jesus. Do you realize that? His faith is stronger than death. So in that grave, you go through all Hebrews and you look in Hebrews 6 and 7 and it starts talking about these prophecies about the Messiah. Hebrews is quoting back to Psalms and several other prophets. And it's saying to the Messiah, you forever will be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. You will sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And all these promises, Jesus is in the grave facing death. I mean, he's dead. And this is what he's remembering. And you can go through these prophetic Psalms, Psalm 38, Psalm 40, Psalm 18. And he's down there dealing with this reality, dealing with the idea that, no, God promised me that I would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God promised me that I would be the savior. God promised me that I would be the deliverer. And then he flips over and he starts being bold about it. And man, you go through Psalm 18 and there's this passage where it's like, then the ground began to shake. Then the earth rumbled. Then he made darkness. He came down on a cloud and he reached into the depth and he brought him out. And man, he was risen from the dead. He rose from the dead because his faith conquered death. Galatians 2.20 tells us that, you know, we live by his faith. Man, think about that. The faith that is stronger than death is alive inside of you because Christ is in you. Now, I love this little picture that he gives us. Under the old covenant, when the, on the day of atonement, which was the day that the priest did all the work, the priest brought the sacrifice himself, the people just rested and entered in and experienced the benefit of this atonement sacrifice. So here, they're all out there basically kicking back, watching the priest do all the work. Is that a good picture? <laughs> and so, because Jesus did the work for us, so the priest would do that final atonement sacrifice, and he would take the blood, and he would walk toward the Holy of Holies, which he could only go into one time a year. And he would say, don't touch me. Don't touch me. I've not yet offered the blood of the sacrifice. Well, remember after the resurrection and Jesus is in the garden and the women come to him and he's like, wait, don't touch me yet. I've not yet ascended to my father. He's giving us the clue that he is the atonement sacrifice. And I love this passage. And I, I've got a couple of scriptures here, Philip, that I want to I put up here. And it's going to be over in Hebrews. And I want you to see these because this is, if you understand the spiritual implications, the eternal implications of what Jesus was doing after he rose from the grave, this is your redemption. This is your righteousness. This is your sanctification and your justification eternally with God. See, we have to know this. And Christianity, man, is so carnal meaning that we're so focused on our sin, we're so focused on our efforts, we're so focused on our work, what we think we're supposed to do for God, 
But when you really realize and you make these realities alive in your heart, man, you do that stuff naturally because you realize you've been recreated after his nature, righteousness and true holiness. But look at these passages. Hebrews 9, 11. Go ahead and put that up there, sir. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, say good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. I'm looking forward to seeing that. That is to say, not of this building. Next one. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having attained, obtained eternal redemption for us. I love that they took the time to put it in the Gospels of the experience of the girls in the garden and they're weeping and he shows up and he gives them the clue that he is about to ascend to his father and go to verse uh, 24 there, Hebrews 9, 24, and put that up and offer the blood in that eternal place as a testimony of his righteousness that he has gained. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God, say for me. For me. Man. <laughs> Hebrews 10.10. Flip over there. But when... Hebrews 10, 10, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. Mm -hmm. Say, I'm holy. I'm holy. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you have trouble with that? You know, you can check with whether or not you really believe this stuff because you can say it. Just say it. You can just say it out loud. I'm holy. And then where do you go in your mind? Yeah, but my pastor said or. My mama said that this is, I'm not holy. Holiness is something I've got to live. Uh, uh, no, this right here, say the Bible says, the Bible <laughs> that the blood of Christ makes you holy. Now, we can't take that for granted and still live a reckless and sinful life. This should produce holiness in our living as well. In fact, you can't live holy. So he made you holy so that you could live out the way that he wants you to live. Not to then earn more holiness, but to glorify, to testify of his goodness, of what he's done. Do you see the difference? So flip, going down to uh, Hebrews uh, 10, 19, this is where we live now. And this is what I want to encourage you in. And this is having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter. This is, this is us. This is after he's cleansed our conscience from dead works which is the very first thing that we're supposed to do is repent from dead works. Dead works are those things that we do to try to earn righteousness from God. Dead works are those things that maybe they externally look like good works, but you're doing them to try to keep God happy or try to keep him, you know, his anger off of you or try to earn holiness or righteousness. Those are dead works. You just live that stuff out naturally. So, 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, 
let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Say, he's faithful. And let us consider, now this is where we live, and man, I'm telling you, this is, this is a drum that I will continue to bang until I'm done. But I think it's time for the church, the body of Christ, I'm not talking about any specific organization, nothing that's got a name or a banner on it, but humans, say me, I'm the church. The body of Christ to work together. It's our only hope. Let me read these passages. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. See, grace doesn't excuse you from good deeds or good works. You're created unto good works, but we do them because of what he's done inside of us. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as the day, as you see the day approaching. Man, so after the ascension, after he offers his blood as the sacrifice, as the atone, the eternal atonement sacrifice for the entire planet, all of the sin of God, I mean, all of the sin of human humanity, God took and put on Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty. He died, rose again, and gained and earned eternal righteousness and eternal life. And he alone holds those keys. He alone is the supreme ruler. He's the king. He's the one that's got the power. In this process, he defeated the enemy. It's like he walked up to the devil and all his cohorts and ripped his, yes. ripped his power off of his shoulder and said, uh-uh, no more. You have no more authority. You have no more right in this planet because I have the keys. I am in charge now. This is my place in everything and you're done. So the only thing that the enemy can do is run around and lie to you. And if it's in your heart to believe and come into agreement with the things that he's lying to you about, you will experience that stuff in your life. Not because he has the right, not because your sin gives him permission to come into your life because he has no authority. Jesus has all authority, but only because you have dominion in this planet. And if you come into agreement with that stuff, you'll experience his lies in this life. Does that make sense? I encourage you, go and read Psalm 18 because it goes through this whole process and you get to the part where Jesus is raised and then he goes after the enemy. Man, Colossians tells us that he made a show of him openly. You guys ever heard that? You know what that means? Have you, have you never? Is, if you've not heard that, wave your hand at me. So what he did to make a show openly when a conquering king would defeat another army through a battle and they took the king, the conquering king would take the defeated king and cut his thumbs and toes off, strip him naked, wrap a chain around his neck and drag him through his own village to show his villagers, his people and his kingdom, here's the king that was coming against us. Look at him now. That's what Jesus did. He made a show of the enemy openly. To, for all the angels to see, for all of us to see in ages to come. Man, why are we afraid of the devil? He's got no power. Quit giving him credit. He'll lie to you. If you want to believe it, believe it. Really don't believe it. 
But there's no fear, you know. There's such this thing built up that the devil is so powerful as if God and the devil are in this battle and, you know, he's in charge of this planet and God's in charge of the heavenlies and there's do and we're in the middle and it's like we're getting punched from both sides. And no, he's done. He is under our feet. Amen. Man. So so in this. Then Jesus, after having offered his blood, and go through and read Hebrews 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. It's so powerful because you see the spiritual offering of his eternal blood. And this is how I see it in my mind. And it's based on Colossians, where it says that Jesus presents us holy, unblameable, unreprovable to the Father in his love. I see this. I see Jesus having made that sacrifice and he sits down, but he turns toward the world and he says, now enter through me. Now I have gained eternal life. Now I have gained redemption. Now, if you receive me, I will justify you. I will make you holy. I will bring you into me and make you one with me. And I am one with my father and we will be one. So that's what happens. And we say yes. Do you say yes to Jesus? Yes. So what happens when you make that decision, you die. Amen. You die, meaning your sin nature, the old you, the you that has tried really, really hard to live this life is dead. And never to be remembered anymore, only in the recesses of your mind when you start feeling bad about yourself. You think that you're still that old person. God doesn't see it. God doesn't revive that old dead man and shove it in your face and say, look at what you're doing. Remember what you used to be? No, that's not the way God does it. Jesus takes us as we come to him and says, yes. And it, I, this is the picture. I just see him holding us in his arms and him presenting us to the father saying, I've made them holy. That's what it says that Jesus presents us holy to the father. It's like he's looking at us and his finished work. And he's saying, look what I've done, Lord. Look what I've done, father. I've made them holy. And we just rest in that, man. Do you see yourself like that? Just laying in his arms, presented to Father. Man. And then it's like he, he puts his spirit in you. He gives you a new heart. He writes his laws in your mind and in your heart so that when you then come up and you're raised with him in this life, in this newness of life, still in this planet, now you live with the Spirit of God within you. You live having been justified. Now you don't have to look externally at, a, at a, some tablets to figure out what you're supposed to, how to do the right thing. It's part of you. You know how to live according to the holiness that you've been made. You know how to live righteous. You know how to follow God. This new heart is crafted and engineered to be able to hear God. And you follow God naturally because you are it's your new nature, righteousness and true holiness. But you can still choose sin in this world if you want. You can still allow that heart to be full of worry and fear and doubt and pain and guilt if you want to. And what that does is it hardens your heart. Sin hardens your heart and it, sh and it causes you to become dull to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So stay out of sin. Because you're, you're putting yourself in a place to not be led by God. You're putting yourself in a place to reap destruction in this life. 
You're putting yourself in a place to where God's trying to lead you and guide you and bring you into all truth, but you can't connect to it because you've stayed in that destruction and allowed your heart to become hard and you're reaping the benefits of your choices. But that spirit is still in there. That spirit is still holy and righteous because that once one time eternal sacrifice has been made and you share in that and you enter in that. In Hebrews 1 and another place tells us that he, got, he has a name above all names and he obtained an inheritance. He obtained everything. Jesus inherited everything. And in this exchange, in this thing of him making us righteous and bringing us into relationship with him, not only does he just open the door to heaven and say, come on in. Not only does he wash you and make you clean and make you look just like him as he is, so are we in this world. But then he says, you are a joint heir with me. Everything that I have earned and gained and inherited, I share now with you. Man, everything that he has, he shares with us. The quality of life that God has is shared with us. You know, so, so yes, that includes healing. Yes, that includes all the gifts of operation, but not from a place where you've got to jump in this religious mindset and now you're going to be a charismatic. No, it's because God, it says in, um, um, my mind's blank, but I can tell you the scripture, that God made us great and precious promises that no matter how many promises he made, they're yes and amen in Christ so that we would be a partaker of God's divine nature. Man, that's the inheritance that we've obtained through Jesus. We're a partaker of God's divine nature, not so that you can become a God, but so that you can enjoy being in the family of God in this planet. I want that, don't you? I want to experience those promises for one reason, so that God would be glorified. Not so that my pockets would be fat. Not so that I would drive a nice car. You know, all that stuff that religion makes it out to be, unfortunately. Not so I can get my $65 million jet. Oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry. Oops. Yeah. But so that God would be glorified. See, that's why we want to experience and inherit, it, and inherit the promises. That's why we want to walk in his divine nature is because then people on this planet would look at us and say, man, God is good. Look at what has happened in those people's lives. I want God. Look at how they love each other. Their love for one another is different. Our love for one another should be a testimony to the world that we follow Jesus. Then we unite to go after the world. You know, unity in church prayer breakfasts so that we can all sit around and discuss theology only creates conflict. The, the body of Christ, I don't care what denomination, I don't care what label you have over your door, you're the body of Christ. And as we gather together to go to the world, the world will believe. When they see us loving one another and they see us coming after them with love, man, like that. Not with the judgmental, condemning finger. Yes, they're condemned. Yes, there's still a hell to avoid by receiving the righteousness of Christ. But man, it's the goodness and it's the kindness, kindness and the love of God that we're equipped with to go into this world and show them this is what it looks like. 
This is the goodness of God. You can look at me. I have received and inherited the promises of God because of the righteousness of Christ that dwells within me. Now, don't you want him? Does your life say that? Is he good? Let's just bow our heads. If you've never made Jesus your Lord, if you've never received this, you don't know for sure that you're righteous. Maybe you even just want to rededicate. You want to make this the moment that, that your heart comes alive to him, that your spirit is renewed. If it's the first time or if it's a rededication for you, just lift up your hand where I can see it. Lift it up and hold it up. All right. You all know it. Come on. So I'll just pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for giving us this gospel. We thank you for giving us this ministry of reconciliation that we can believe your gospel and go into this world in your love and bring people back into your family because Jesus offers that free gift of righteousness. I speak life and health over every single person in this place. Lord, I thank you that your blessing goes before us. Your favor goes before us. You are with us. You have good plans for us, not to harm us and not to bring destruction into our lives, but to establish your promises in our lives so that you would be glorified. Amen.